Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast, and today's guest is a, is a funny one, for sure. Well, a stand-up comedian and uh, an all-around uh, funny fellow, like you said, Kevin Banner, joins us on the Second Act Podcast, and he's got a really neat story. You know, um, I remember going to the comedy club that he frequents out in Victoria oh, way back in the day, probably 2012. Um, and he was there as the host and all he did was like a five minute little shtick to, to get the, the comedian up on the stage. And all these years later, he's released a couple of comedy specials. Um, you know, he talks about some of the people he shared a stage with and, uh, he's, you know, decided he was going to, going to be a comedian and he stuck through it and man, what an incredible run he's had. Yeah, it's a, it's a great pod. And, um, I went through and listened to a couple of his specials that he has on YouTube, and I thoroughly enjoyed a lot of the jokes. I won't spoil them here, but a lot of the jokes were really, like, they were well thought out, and they were well written, and um, I'm not one to, like, laugh out loud a lot, especially when I'm, like, alone watching something, but I I laughed out loud a couple times watching those specials, so if you enjoy this pod, make sure to go check him out on YouTube. He's got a couple. He's got a 30-minute one, the one that I listened to, and it was just, it was really good. Yeah, that one's heavy favorite, and it's uh, it's it's brand new, uh, only a few months old, and and he talks about you know um, they had some goals for it, and they pretty much surpassed those goals immediately. So yeah, Kevin Banner, heavy favorite. When you're done with the pod, check it out. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a lot of fun to sit down and talk with somebody who's doing what they love to do. So without any further ado, please welcome Kevin Banner. Oh, thanks for having me on the pod. I appreciate it. It's really exciting when somebody uh, mentions that that they know someone who might be a fitter, who might be might be willing to come on because uh, typically I don't know much about them, so I get to go and do a little background on it, and it's uh, it's a neat uh, kind of exercise, and especially for somebody who has some profile on the internet, you know, uh, to go find something about people that don't have anything up on the internet, it, it's pretty over pretty quick. Whereas for somebody like right. yourself. There's all kinds of neat stuff out there. Every time I turned around, there was an interesting link to click on. Oh, good. Uh, I hope you didn't find anything too bad, but yeah. No, it's uh, it, it was all it was all really fun and interesting stuff. And and your vocation as a as a stand up comedian is kind of something that lends itself. To, you know, there's going to be bits and clips of people in this uh, cell phone age. People are going to have things on the internet. What what goes into that kind of a you know, when you're trying to control your image and your likeness, your your you know, this is your material. How do you have to police that stuff just to keep yourself kind of out of the places you don't want to find yourself? Um, I've been pretty lucky in that, like, almost all of the material that I have online, uh, I made the decision to put it online. So it wasn't like people recording me at a show and, and just throwing my stuff up without permission. There are a handful of videos um, that that I agreed to be in uh and i i said that they could post them but what happened was they didn't end up miking the crowd so you don't hear any laughter 
So all of the comments are like people would message me and be like, this guy, why is he bombing? Why is the crowd so bad? What, what's happening? So you can only hear crowd coming through my mic on stage. So it sounds like I was doing horribly. And I hate those videos. I did at one point look into getting them pulled down, but it wasn't going to happen. So that's all right. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like when I started comedy, that wasn't like YouTube wasn't really a thing. And Instagram definitely wasn't a thing. And posting videos of yourself on a, on a regular schedule was not a thing. And so that's kind of one of the ways that comedy has evolved over the years where now if you don't have an online presence, you're kind of not in the business. So you don't have that uh, famous uh, Michael Richards Kramer moment trapped somewhere <laughs> out there? No, no. I have a, a, the third time I ever went on stage, I got into an argument with a woman uh, and it was filmed on a high eight camcorder. But only I have that footage. But I didn't say anything too bad. But she, she, it was literally my third time on stage. And she said, uh, she just kept yelling. And I said, what do you want? And she said, a better comedian. I said, well, he's, he's not coming. So, yeah. SOL. Yeah. yeah, this is what you got. So maybe you want to have another drink then. Yeah, it was, I was the only comedian that was going to be on stage that night. The rest of the acts were all musical of, in nature. So, yeah, I, I feel terrible for that woman but uh well all these years later we still uh we still respect her decision to come down for the show even if it wasn't what she was <laughs> expecting so you, you talked about um the beginning of your comedy career um and and how you know how much things have changed and evolved why don't you talk a little bit about what kind of led you down that road into a career in comedy and and you know the things that the people that influenced you and the things that led you up onto that stage so I, I was, I, 22 was the, uh, I was 22 the first time that I did stand up and I had been working out of high school and just working crap jobs for a few years. And I was, uh, at the time that I started doing stand up, I was working for a, a company making dry suits for, uh, kite surfing and scuba diving. So I was not living the life that I had always pictured as a kid. And I, I performed in high school. I did plays and, and sketch comedy shows and I missed it. I missed performing on stage, but I never thought that stand-up comedy was something I could do because my introduction to stand-up comedy, it was watching. Um, I would watch boxing with my dad on HBO. And if the fight ended early, HBO would fill the time by throwing up one of the stand-up comedy hours that they own. So it would be like, George Carlin or, uh, or Chris Rock or these guys that really heady, um, smart, socially, politically, uh, really intelligent comedians. And I was like, well, I could never be a stand-up comedian. And then I saw this uh, comedy tour came through Victoria and a few of the comics were terrible. And I was like, well, I could do that. I could be terrible. So maybe I should uh, give it a shot. And then a friend of mine, he's a, a pro wrestler for the company AEW, his name's Luther. He used to burn me CDs and he sent me a CD of this comedian, Dave Attell. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I love this. He's saying whatever he wants to say. Uh, I would like to try stand up comedy. He kept in Luther would like be like, you should try this. You should try comedy. But in my head, I couldn't. And then I just decided like, OK, I've got to do this once. So that was my goal. I wanted to do stand up comedy once. And in May of 2005, I did it and something horrible happened i had fun 
And so I was like, okay, I've got to keep doing this, I guess. And so that was the initial goal was to do it one time. And then the next goal was I saw a show in Victoria and it was this comedian from LA, Todd Glass. And he had three Vancouver comedians on the show with him, Phil Hanley, Graham Clark, and John Bueller. And I was like, okay, now my goal is to be on a show with one of those guys and have them think I was funny. And then, you know, I did, I became friends with those guys. And then the next goal was to become an opening act a, a quality opening act. And then the next goal was to become a headliner. And I thought I would never get that skill level. I wouldn't never get to the, to the level of being a headliner, having like 45 minutes of killer material. And then I hit that goal. And then the goal was to put out an album. And then after I put out my album, I had no idea what I was going to do because it's Canada and you're, you're limited in what you can do. There's touring is not a lot of fun in Canada, especially on the West coast where the next closest city, uh, big city is Calgary. And that's a good 11, 12 hour drive through the Rockies. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was just kind of goal after goal. And then, you know, when I put up my album, I was kind of lost for a while. I didn't know what to do next. So what was the, the comedy scene? Like I'm thinking of Graham Clark. I know that name. Um, Brent Butt would have been at some point, you know, around, uh, around Vancouver. Um, I'm trying to think like was Seth Rogen, you know, he would have been a little younger or was he, was he still Seth around there? quite a while before i moved to vancouver because okay. i started in victoria when there was no comedy scene there was okay. just i was the only comedian that i ever saw out there there was sketch and, and improv but there was no stand-up regular shows so i went to a music open mic and i asked if i could like i called a bunch of music open mics and said can i try comedy at your open mic and they were all worried. A lot of the places I called the first three or four were like worried about content. Like, are you going to swear? And I was like, I'm, I'm probably going to swear. And so then this one place I called Logan's pub, they're like, do you want to swear? And I, or I said, uh, I said, is it okay if I swear? And they were yelling back and forth like, Hey, this effing comedian wants to effing try stand up on our effing stage. Would that be all right? And I hear like three voices in the background go F yeah. So uh, I went to Logan's pub and, and tried comedy there. I did that Three or four months in a row i went once a month and and tried it and then i was kind of off to the races i can think about how intimidating that must have been like uh growing up in saskatchewan um it, our our you know representation of stand-up comedy was what we could see on cbc on just for laughs right and you think of the names like the stature of people that were on just for laughs I had never heard of them. So in my mind, these people were unknown, but I mean, they, they clearly were not. And and I remember watching them and thinking, man, that looks like a good time. And like, uh, the, you know, little, little comedy festival there in Montreal that how, how hard could it be? And then as the world becomes smaller and you can, you get exposed to more and more things, you realize how many people out there are trying to do it. And um, the, like the, like what Mitch Hedberg did was pretty easy. Like, Oh yeah, I, I don't need a donut or a receipt for that donut. I cannot think of an opportunity where I would ever need to prove that I bought a donut on its face, pretty simple, but his delivery and the honing and the timing and that's years and years on the road to get it. And then you Absolutely. see him on just for laughs and think, well, I could do that. And you're kind of right in that middle right. where 
things were starting to get bigger and then you had to play catch up and and be the guy that was putting himself out there and getting yourself noticed if you wanted to make a career in it was there any kind of a playbook for that or were you just feeling it out as you went not really like it was especially to when i started because i had no other comedians to to speak to for guidance so but my first five years i was really kind of just doing shows on my own around the island and i would you know meet a comedian from vancouver or whatever and book them and in hindsight way overpay them when i didn't know i was like oh comedians have to be making this much and they i was one of the best paying gigs around because i didn't know any better um excuse me uh so for the first five years i only ended up doing stand-up about 15 20 times and then a friend of mine said oh there's a comedy club in victoria that's doing an amateur night and you should go and sign up and it was hecklers with our buddy aaron magoo and i was the first comedian on their first amateur night that they ever did so um after that aaron gave me so many opportunities to and just stage time because that is ultimately the most important thing for a young comedian is to get stage time you develop your act and it takes so long it's like you said that thing about hedberg where it's like yeah he had those great jokes but that was a grind to get those great jokes um so yeah i just uh, uh jason lamb your previous guest on the podcast he took time off from doing comedy for a while and when he did aaron offered me the role of uh house mc at hecklers and so then i ended up doing a hundred and something shows there in the next year and i got to meet every touring comedian out of vancouver every opening act every headliner and half of the half of the headliners in the country at the time came through hecklers so i got to meet them all and and learn from them and yeah, they, they convinced me to leave the Victoria scene and, and move over to Vancouver. And, and, you know, then you kind of start again down at the bottom rung, but you build your way up and you just do as many shows as you can in front of as many audiences as you can. And you just build your act and get it, you know, um, as tight as you possibly can. So, but now you're, you've already climbed, even if you haven't climbed the ladder, you've taken some steps up the rung. So is it, a, is it more daunting the second time in the bigger the bigger center or, or do you are you feeling a little more comfortable like i've done this before and i can do it again i was definitely like i had a leg up moving to vancouver over uh, a lot of uh amateur comics at that time because i knew all of these all the players in town right and everybody liked me when they came to hecklers and so i had a chance to um get on some really good shows and get seen by other you know great comics in town and i just became part of the scene at that point so it uh it just kept snowballing from there so you just kind of get on the good shows and and then you're you're working with the good comedians and you're learning from the good comedians and that's a problem i think with some comics never break out of that early open mic scene so you're just kind of on shows with other comedians who don't really get it yet so it's tough to learn from them and uh you end up just kind of I, there it's something i call starter voice so like you have this voice when you start as a comedian where you kind of you're emulating or you're you're doing an impression of what you think a comedian sounds like and you're not really speaking with any sort of an authentic voice 
and it takes a long, long time to shed that, that starter voice. So like, I know comics that were in it five, 10 years before they really shed that. And then it clicks and then you can see it. You can see, oh, they get it now. And they start pumping out, you know, quality material rather than kind of doing the same base level stuff that they had started with. Oh, that's totally a, a thing with the podcast. Uh, you'll be somewhere 110 to 115. And and I've gone back and listened to some early ones. And, and some of the things that I used to talk about and the questions I used to ask were very, almost like you heard somebody else ask those questions on a podcast. And I was trying to shoehorn that question into right. my, my mind because that's what I knew how to do or what I had right. learned how to do. And now... I listen to it and I don't, I, I hope I'm better. I don't know that I'm like, you know, materially better. I just don't do that anymore. Right. I'm, right. I'm using my own voice to ask my own questions in a conversation with somebody. So I, I definitely can, can understand, you know, that it, it might take you years and years it, to get away from it, that starter voice. It takes time. And like, for me, honestly, it took, I would say if I, I started in 2005, I didn't really like the comedian I was until 2015, 16. And if I even went back and look at that guy now, you know, seven, eight years down the road from that, uh, I don't necessarily like that version of myself. So yeah, I don't want to become uh, complacent and stop trying to be better and just kind of uh, some guys figure out a formula and they, they start to write their jokes like a math equation where it's like, I know if I say this and this, combine it with this, that I can get a laugh. But there, there's just something low integrity about that to me where it's like you should continue to try and become a better better performer as long as you're doing this so the problem with all of that is you released a comedy album in 2016 and now it's immortalized forever so yeah talk talk about that process when you finally figure out i got enough material i'm happy enough with it that i'm willing to put it out there and it's going to be there forever yeah so what had happened is i opened for uh the great bill burr on oh a, man on, two shows in Vancouver. Uh, it was between me and another comedian. They asked us to submit a quick clip on YouTube for his management. And then they picked uh, me out of the two. And I got to do two shows with him in front of uh, 2000 people a show. And that was quite a fun jump up. And there was a producer from the one of the, the local record label, uh, 604 Records. It was co-owned by Chad Kroger of Nickelback. Yeah. And they were looking to put out a comedy album. And the producer that was in the crowd asked me if I would be interested in being the first comedian that they signed. And I said, I would love to. So my first album came out on uh, 604 Records uh, through uh, Chad Kroger, who I didn't even meet until three months ago when I opened for David Spade in Vancouver. And Chad Kroger came back to hang out with David Spade after the show. And I said, do you know that I'm the first comedian that was on your record label? And he turned around to the room of people. He's like, that's right. I do own a record label. So it was a, a fun little interaction with Chad. And he was the nicest guy. And everybody wants to bash Nickelback for some reason. But he he was such a gentleman and just such a sweetheart of a guy that I will you'll never hear me say a bad word about Nickelback. Yeah, next time you're uh, you're gonna drop all those names, you're gonna have to let me know that I can get my uh, steel toe boots on. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I can tell you about my friends like <laughs> Kyle Bottom and uh, uh, you know Murray Ipswich, but nobody wants to hear about them, right? <laughs> That's interesting. It's funny. I feel like the tides turned on Nickelback recently in the last year or so. Like they kind of embraced that that reputation. 
and now it's like if if somebody like yells if you play one of their bangers uh, burn it to the ground or rock star and then somebody's like boo shut these guys off like 80 percent of the people are gonna be like shut up you know yeah. every word to this song that's the You'll, thing yeah you know you can trash nickelback all you want but there's still gonna be five four or five of their songs where you can sing along to it if it came on so i don't know they've done something right right yeah yeah 100 percent. so when you and and you, you mentioned this in your notes uh that you sent me you know you were happy enough with this material that you put this out, but it was really, and, and as your life played out, um, you were married to another comedian and, yep. and a lot of the jokes were about that. It, it was a really, a real snapshot in time for you. Right. And as your life played out, you guys got divorced and, and now you're remarried and, and you have a, a daughter, you were, you were kind of like, man, there's, there's more to me than that one piece. So you, it kind of kept you right. moving ahead. Um, I, I'm not like I don't imagine there's any like you're not embarrassed of of what went into that, but but you weren't done when you made that one album. How do you kind of progress along to get yourself to a position where you can make the the sequel to that album? So yeah, like the first album, I'm I'm still I would say ninety percent proud of it. There's a couple of jokes on there that I was like ah, if, in hindsight, I wish I had left those off. Overall, I'm I'm proud of that record. It's just um, when I. I went through a period where I was pretty, pretty um, depressed and I considered quitting comedy for a while and, and I didn't want to leave that as the only piece of uh, art that I had committed to the, to the world, right? So I, I had a goal to do this second special uh, because I didn't want, like if when my daughter grows up, I don't want the only proof that I was a comedian to be me talking about my previous wife. So I wanted to have material talking about her and talking about her mom. And so it was really important to me to get this album to, or to get this material that I was working on to a place where it was releasable. And I told Aaron uh, that I, I was like, I think I want to do one more album and then quit comedy. And he, he offered to produce it. And I said, well, I want to do a special too. Like I want it to be a video special, which would be something that I hadn't done at that point. And so Aaron jumped on board once again, gave me a great opportunity and he, he stepped up and he got behind me and uh, yeah, we, we made this album and then the, the response to it has been so positive and it really made me feel justified in all of the, you know, putting thousands of kilometers on my car to, to go out and, and build the act and get it to a place where I could release it. And um, yeah, so we did that. It's been out just about two months and, I have uh, just under 24,000 people have watched it on, on YouTube, which my goal for the first month was to have 10,000. I said, I will be embarrassed if we don't hit 10,000 and we hit 10,000 in, a, I think, eight days. So I'm, I'm really pleased with how it's been. And the, the feedback has been positive. And one of the things that's really felt good is that a lot of people are saying, why have I never heard of this guy before? And it's like, well, because I spent the last four years pretty sad and, not touring and i don't even like i don't tour a lot because again we're in you know bc in the west coast and i can only go to Kelowna, kamloops and penticton so many times in my life before i never want to go again yeah and i think that's an, a reasonable ex, not excuse but a reasonable reason for you to get to a certain level where those got those places will have you enough times that you're like okay 
I need more out of this. And, it, and, there, and then there's a gap between that and, you know, being able to go to the next level and, and take those on. But it was really, I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I just, I was curious about what you, like you said, when, when you were married, the first time you were married to mm -hmm. another comedian. Yeah. And I, I think the notion people have is it's just two people riffing all day long, but it's, it's gotta be like, you're, what, what was it like when something would happen and it went into your act and, and then it, did she ever use like, you know, were you part of her act and she was part, like, what's the, yeah. what are the ground rules for something <laughs> like that? Well, with my, my first wife and with my, my wife now, I would, if I was going to talk about uh, them on stage, I, I, I would run it by them just to make sure it was okay. Uh, I know with my first wife, one time I didn't, and she was kind of oddly offended by, by what I had said, which I thought it was nothing, but uh, her friend, who was another comedian, ratted me out and said, Kevin's talking about you on stage right now, and... I didn't think of anything of it, but she didn't like it. So I knew from then on, okay, well, I'll definitely run anything I'm going to say uh, by you before I say it. Um, my wife now, uh, Sarah, she is not a comedian, but she's funnier than a lot of people. So I'll run jokes, even if they're not about her. I will run jokes by her just to see what she thinks. Um, there's no real ground rules, but I also I want to keep the peace in the house. So I'm yeah. not going to cross any lines. Well, it's, it's funny. My wife and I were just looking at something like recently in the last few days. And it said, you know, a woman's idea of a guy with a sense of humor is somebody that can make her laugh. And a man's idea of a sense of humor is somebody that laughs at her, at his jokes. Right. So <laughs> there's funny. like the, there's, you know, there's that kind of, and then somebody who makes a living at it and they think they know what's funny and that's not funny. And then you say it and it gets a big response. It's like, man, that, I could see uh, a real the lines of communication would have to be very open for that to right. work yeah no for sure and 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 i'm very thankful that my i i, I it's hard to not say current wife because i feel like she would be offended by that but <laughs> it's my uh my now and forever wife Sarah, yeah. has just been she's been so great she's a great sounding board and i think that that's something that a lot of comedians don't have at home um you know they don't necessarily have somebody that they can bounce their stuff off. But um, I just wanted to go back when I was saying like that I was very depressed after my first album came out was because I didn't think I could do it again. It's so hard and it's such a slog to come up with that 45 minutes to do an hour. And so I got in a place in my head where I, I started canceling a lot of shows because I didn't have anything new. And I was worried that if I showed up and I wasn't doing something new that the other comedians would look at me like one of those guys that, because there, that used to be a thing. So comics used to write one act, they'd have an act and they would run that for 20 years. And there's guys still that are out there working the road that never really have changed their act over the years. And so they'll try, the only thing they change is they'll figure out a new way to segue. So instead of talking about this crazy song with these lyrics that they've been doing that joke for 25 years now, they go, oh, I was listening to your local oldies station and they were playing this song. That's just a way to get into doing their really old material. And I didn't want to be that guy. And I, I was struggling creatively for a while. And so it led me to a place where I just stopped doing shows. And I was very uh, low on myself and, and, and low on comedy. And I wasn't getting ahead because 
I was holding myself back because I didn't have anything new to say. And so then I wouldn't leave the house, which you're not getting new experiences to write about or talk about because all I would do is I would go to work and I would come home and I would watch TV until I went to bed. And that doesn't lead to a great, interesting comedy act. So yeah, it was, it was a really difficult period there. And then my wife and I split and that was fine. I think it was very mutual. I think we were both kind of over each other's garbage at that point. We probably never should have been married in the first place, but um, we were both at a, at a point in our lives where we thought we were supposed to get married. And yeah, and then we split and now we're both living much happier lives with, with other folks. So. It's interesting that the, the, the art that you, you chose to create that you've pursued is, is different in that, you know, how many times have you gone to watch a band play? And they try to play a new song and everyone's like, just yeah. play the old stuff. Yeah. And as a comedian, um, it's the opposite of that. You just yeah. you can't get away with that in today's day and age because people see your material yeah. and you, you just you can't go and tell the same joke over and over again. Yeah. Louis C.K. really changed that for the business in that when he started to release a new hour of material every year and other comedians were like, oh, crap, like that's the new normal. We have to develop and, and just now it's good and bad it's good because it it stopped comics from just keeping the same act forever but it's bad because comics felt compelled to release a new hour quickly and a lot of times that material was half-baked and it wasn't very good so like louis himself had a, had a few jokes on some of those specials where he was like yeah, I wrote that joke the day of the special. It's like, well, you're one of the best comedians to ever do it. I would have liked to seen what that premise could have been turned into after 18 months of grinding it out. But it was just the way that he decided to do it was I'm going to release an hour every year. So for me, that was daunting. Like my first album came out in 2016. My last one, my most recent came out three weeks ago. So um yeah, it's it's it's. I don't think the average person understands how difficult it is to come up with material if you care, if you care about comedy, and I do, to come up with material that isn't just derivative of somebody else's stuff, that's unique and it's original and and it's your own perspective. And I think that that's a the average uh, comedy viewer. We like I didn't know that before I started in comedy. I thought, oh, we all just kind of. And then I also thought the audience would laugh at whatever you said but they're not in on it as much as you think they are. They, they want to be entertained. And if you're not doing it, they will sit there with their arms folded. The, the spotlight that's on comedians in today's day and age, I, I don't think I've ever heard the term punching down as much as yeah. you know, you do now um, when you're creating material and you're, you know, you're, you're trying to be, even if you're not trying to be edgy often in, in to be funny to the point where you're going to stop someone from folding their arms and actually laughing out loud so that the person beside them thinks it's okay to laugh out loud, so on and so forth throughout okay. the room of a hundred people. Um, you're, you're often probably on the edge of, of funny and, and maybe mean. How do you, how do you personally navigate that line? What's your barometer for that where you're comfortable going down, going there, so to speak? I heard a great quote when I was starting out in comedy from one of the Wayans brothers. And so there's like, whatever, five or six or seven of them. And they all, 
ended up being comedians. And one of them said in an interview, he said, we had a rule in our house. Our parents had a rule in our house. We wouldn't get in trouble if what we said was funnier than it was mean. So if you're going to be mean or if you're going to punch down, you better be funny. And I think that that's something that uh, a lot of comics, that's when they do get in trouble. It's because what they said was meaner than it was funny. It's interesting. I've, um, as we're talking about this, I, I recall uh, around episode fifty somewhere in there, I had Uncle Hack from the Danger Cats on. Do you are you familiar with their? I'm not. No. So they're uh, well. Uncle Hack's a, a comedian out of out of Edmonton, and he's okay. the Danger Cats. There's three or four of them, and they do this, and they're you know they they push the boundaries. Um, and so Brendan, the Uncle Hack, Brendan Beauclair, he came on, and he he was very soft-spoken uh he was you know like far more polite and considerate than anything in his public persona belies and he talked about how like like i can't be like that all the time that that person would not be allowed in any room and you know you think it's funny but he's like that's not who i am that's what i you know what i put out he he's the guy who made a t-shirt of trudeau and blackface and okay. so they buy these shirts with and it's his big Trudy on it. And it's that picture of Trudeau and blackface, you know, and, and it plays well in Alberta, right? That's the sure. kind of thing that, that, that really gets, but, but he's not that guy. And, and it, I'm probably for the, you know, a couple hundred people that'll hear this, they're going to be like, what, you know, but that's, that's just, he's, he, he's doing that to get his reaction, to play to his crowd. And I was always curious how other guys who maybe don't go that far, how their what their barometer is and and to say you have to be funnier than you are mean um both kind of subjective terms right but but the guidelines there you know what i'm saying like you, yeah. you have to be able to explain it to your mom why you think it's funnier <laughs> than mean right i don't have i don't like i definitely there's some some jokes on this new special that are uh, that walked the line and that I was a little nervous about when I'm clipping because again you have to clip your material up so that I, it's a half hour special but I've got to put a bunch of bite-sized clips on the internet to get people to go watch the full thing right some of the clips are definitely a little edgy um, but I don't I don't think that I say anything on stage that I can't stand behind so I'm not going to say something frivolously just to get a laugh. I'm going to say something because I genuinely think it's funny and I'm not up there trying to shock you. If you're shocked by something I've said, that's um, a bummer because that's not my intention. I want people to laugh. But, you know, getting some gasps sometimes too is is almost as good. But that's never my intent. Like I, I swear I go up there trying to be funny and the shock community the shock comedy guy that's kind of a dead end road so you can only do that for so long before you kind of have to up the stakes and at a certain point nobody wants to hear that yeah and i mean gg allen did it already right there's yeah. like there's nowhere you're gonna go that people haven't gone so at some point you're gonna run out of it or you're gonna get yourself into a, a situation where there's no redeeming value in what you're putting out to the world exactly it's uh it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to consider though because um obviously with with any kind of art form people are always pushing and and pushing it and you're talking about having this venue this avenue like like a special heavy heavy favorite yep 
heavy favorite on on YouTube and KevinBanner.com. Yeah, and anywhere that um, anywhere that audio albums are available, it's you know it's on seventy two platforms around the planet right now. Through uh, this album came out on Comedy Record, and yeah, they they sent me a, a screenshot of the seventy two platforms that it's available on, including like Napster still exists as a legitimate way to download music somewhere on the planet. So. Right. Yeah, it's it's all over the place, but it's it's I just it's interesting in all the places that you can you can put this stuff out, and you're you know you're owning it in you know Victoria, Vancouver, the touring that you're doing, and you're putting it out there, and you know expecting it or hoping that it plays in places like the UK where they're traditionally and notoriously so much drier than us, and right. The U.S. I think is kind of has a little bit of a reputation for not quite having the sarcastic or understanding the sarcastic bent sometimes that some Canadian comedians can take down there. And you're putting it all out there and and just putting it on all 72 platforms and then saying, "Well, tell me what you think." Right? Yeah. And and so far the feedback has it, it's been really touching. It's been 90, 95 percent positive. The only negative things that people have said so far is that uh a i look like a fat tom segura or i look like the guy from american pickers so as far as as far as uh you know things that people can come at me for that's fine because they've mostly left my material alone nobody said anything bad i've got a lot of great compliments uh from all around the world now the the one thing with the like youtube and and tiktok and instagram is that you can look at the analytics and you can see where people are watching so uh it's been about 60 percent of the the twenty four thousand some odd views have been in america and then it's you know 10 percent new zealand australia the uk so it's really uh been nice to get feedback from all around the planet people telling me that they love me and the one disappointing thing is people are always saying, when are you coming to my town? And it'll be like Houston, Atlanta. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm probably not going to do a lot of touring. I'm a full-time dad now. So my, my thing is to just try to maybe in, in, a, in three or four more years, put out another half hour special maybe. Um, but if I don't, then I don't, I, I'm proud of heavy favorite. Uh, and if that's the last thing that I put out into, uh, into the world, then I'm fine with that. So not necessarily your your comedy um, inspirations or or the people that you looked up to, but but more today. Like if you could get a a three comic bill and wherever you have to place mm. yourself in that lineup to make it make sense, who who would you who do you think your comedy their audience their audience would your comedy would play well with, and and who you'd like to share a stage with. Okay, so it would be three comedians that I have worked with already that I am uh, both a friend and fan of. Um, I, I would host, and I'm going to have three other comics, and I'm going to host. So it's going to be me hosting for Phil Hanley. He's a great comedian who started in Vancouver. Now he's been living in New York for a decade. He's got a special on YouTube called Ooh La La, which is as funny as any special ever released. Uh, Michelle Wolf. Uh, a great comedian. She did the uh, the White House Correspondents Dinner yeah. a few years ago and destroyed Trump, and it was it was quite funny. Uh, he did not have a good sense of humor about it. Uh, he took to Twitter before he got banned and trashed her on Twitter, and that was quite funny. Uh, 
So Phil Hanley, Michelle Wolf, and Chad Daniels is going to close out the show. He's a comedian out of Minnesota who is maybe the funniest comedian that's alive right now. And because he decided to stay in Minnesota and raise his kids around their family and around their cousins, that he's not as big as he should be, but he is as funny as anybody who's ever been in comedy. And he does, like I, I say, he's not as big as he should be. He has over a billion streams of his albums on uh, Spotify down in the States, but he's just not a household name, but he should be. So it'd be me hosting Phil Hanley, Michelle Wolf, and Chad Daniels. And uh any of those uh people like if a lot of times people say who should i listen to who's a good com comedian to check out i would I, those are the three names i tell um uh yeah and ivan decker another great comedian out of canada but you said i could only have three so sorry ivan well we can maybe uh sneak in a a, a post show uh quick uh 15 <laughs> or 20 minute set you you mentioned um your depression and you've mentioned mm -hmm. you know we've talked a little bit about the mental health uh aspect of of a life of creation and i mean it's a it's gig work truly um what how do you manage your your mental health in a in a uh, a role like this where there's a very clear metric of success if you buy into it and and other people can view it what's what are some of the the methods that you've used um to and you you talked about being depressed and you you had to extract yourself out of that what how did you manage that pills no i uh i did i i was on antidepressants for a very long time and when i look back i was like the entire time i was on antidepressants i was still depressed so they didn't work for me uh because i just got on some and then i was like well this should be working and it wasn't and i never thought to go back to a doctor and be like this isn't helping and then i there was this online um medical clinic i forget what it was called now but it was uh, this wonderful doctor she was like i'm looking at your chart and it says you've been taking this i think it was paxil for eight years and you're miserably depressed right now why are you still taking paxil she switched up my medications got me uh you know on these new medications and i, I started to feel a lot better and then i also i met my wife and um my wife just dragged me out of it because she's awesome and uh it's being loved by somebody who is so awesome is is a pretty powerful thing so i was with her for 18 months and at that point i was off all all antidepressants and i haven't haven't had to go back since but um it, in comedy, you're also you're surrounded by people that are depressed. A lot, a lot of comedians are not doing it because they're well adjusted and happy. Um, so then you can you can find yourself surrounded by people who become very bitter and very negative about their place in the business. And I kind of found myself in that little bit in that in that area for a while. And and I one day I had an epiphany. I was like, if I had told the the young comedian that i started out in 2005 one day you're going to open for your favorite two comedians of all time norm mcdonald and colin quinn you're going to get to play in front of four thousand people in one night on two different shows in a beautiful theater you're going to get to put out an album you're going to get to fly across the country on somebody else's dime to tell jokes i was like oh i did make it like i was a small town kid who my goal was to do it once and I've so 
greatly exceeded my limited expectations in the business that I, I got mad at myself because I was like, why are you miserable about your place in the comedy world? You've, you've shot past what you ever thought you could do. And so it was that refocusing of my, like we were saying the definition of success, I, I've succeeded. And I think that uh, a lot of people don't realize that when you get into show business, that the goal isn't necessarily fame and fortune. There is a middle class in show business and it sure as hell beats, like I drove a rock truck for a while. I did drywall, I did concrete restoration. I worked in an insurance company. I would much rather have a middle-class income working, telling jokes. Um, so yeah, like I didn't, I, I got into it thinking with that limited mindset of like fame and fortune uh, is the marker of success. But then when I refocused my idea of like what success is, it's, it's just existing and creating art that you're proud of. Um, and everything else is gravy. To anybody listening, it's like, what how you define success is how you def is is what success is like you don't have to like i know there's people who probably look at me and think oh he failed but i didn't i i uh i've met my heroes i've shared stages with some of the greatest people to ever do this and i earned their respect and at the end of the day that's worth a lot more than than just having a lot of people know who i was for doing something that I wasn't necessarily proud of, right? So yeah, just define what success is to you and and work towards that. What a podcast with Kevin Banner. I mean, that guy, he's uh he's an incredible, uh incredible guy to sit down and chat with. And and he's doing, you know, what he loves to do, which is make people laugh, live a great life. You know, he talks about, you know, being divorced and and getting married again and and having a daughter and providing all of the different things that a dad wants to provide for his family all while getting to do what he loves to do and i think that's the greatest takeaway about all this incredible podcast uh, on the recommendation of friend of the pod aaron magoo who uh who is the executive producer of heavy favorite kevin's new uh, youtube special um and it's it's a lot of fun to to see where that's all going because knowing aaron for 150,000 million years uh, seeing what he's done, seeing what he's doing, really exciting stuff. So as we like to say, there are no wrong answers. There's no test at the end. Make the most out of every day. The Second Act Podcast would like to thank Ben Sound for the intro and outro music, Happy Rock. We would also like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, and give us any feedback you can. Thanks for listening.